Hi. If you watched all of episode one and still chose to stick around, thank you. It was hard. It was tough to work through and it made a lot of people really emotional. And I know that a few of you had to take some breaks, but you powered through. You finished the episode and I greatly appreciate that. To everyone who listened in on Spotify, thank you. I know that that episode was just really fucking heavy. But when I chose to do this podcast, I wanted to make sure that I was being 100% honest and 100% genuine with you guys. And I can't do that if I don't share all of the details that I'm not really comfortable sharing or that you may not be comfortable hearing. So if you made it through, thank you. This is episode two. Part two, hopefully it's just not as heavy as episode one was. And I hope that this episode is just easier for you guys to get through. A couple disclaimers. I am sick right now. I'm pretty sure I have a sinus infection, so I sound a little weird. Please just ignore that. I'm trying to stick to the schedule and ensure that this is able to go up Friday. So hopefully when you're watching this or listening to this, I did not become too sick to edit this video. Additionally, if you hear me like taking deep breaths, and struggling to breathe, it is because I have what's called POTS and extreme weather on either end of the spectrum is really hard on my heart and it is really cold here today. I cannot bring my body temperature up, which I'm sure has to do with me being sick and my heart is working overtime and it's really hard for me to breathe. So if it sounds like I'm heavy breathing, it's because I am and I'm just trying to catch my breath. But anyways, hopefully that's not too big of an annoyance for you guys. If you are new here and you don't know what this is, hi, this is the Relax It's Not That Bad podcast where we talk about mental health, share personal testimonies, and discuss the things that really are that fucking bad. This is not a professional podcast. This is not meant for children. I don't really know what other warnings I can give you other than sometimes we talk about some really fucked up shit and currently we are talking about my own personal story which is full of some really fucked up shit. So if you have small children, make them go away. If you don't want to listen to a potty mouth, I'm sorry this is not the podcast for you. If you were expecting professionalism, again this is not the podcast for you. I will have some guest spots coming up, so make sure you guys are watching out for that. Anyways, moving on. I believe we left off on Ruben showing up to pick Crystal up. Now, before we get into that, I want to say that it is really hard for me to be in that headspace to force myself to go back, especially when I work so hard to forget those memories. It's just not a good time for me, which 
a lot of times leads to me crying and, you know, being upset. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to cry. I don't think I've ever been able to tell my story without crying. And now that I am being so publicly open about details I've never shared with anyone other than my husband, it's really hard. And it's an emotional thing for me. But like I said in my last video, I am in therapy. If I'm having a hard day, it's already being handled. Not to worry. Let's just jump right into it. When I was telling you guys about the time that we attempted to run away, a lot of you had questions about why, if that's why in the court documents it says that we were constantly running away and this, this, this. Yes, I, I, I think that that's what they were referring to. However, it was just one time. We ran away one time. And it wasn't one day he took our chains off and we ran away that day. No, he, I guess, I guess he was just trying to build trust, you know. He had been taking our chains off for a while. He would either take our leg chains off or he would take our arm chains off. We were always continued to be chained around the waist, which um, you can see some evidence of that in the pictures at the end of episode one. And so he kind of just worked his way up. He started out just, you know, taking the tape off of our mouth so we could breathe better or we would still have tape over our mouth, but we wouldn't have our brother's underwear in our mouth. Little things here and there, you know, sometimes he would bring us half a cup of water. Just little things, I guess, so he could try to build some trust with us so that maybe we would just cooperate and he wouldn't feel as bad for what he was doing to us. I don't know. I won't have the answers to that because now he's fucking dead and... That was really, really hard for me to handle. That happened last year. And I remember being notified because I'm set up to get notifications anytime anything happens with Betty or Ruben while in prison. And I was notified that he had passed. And I think the reason why I was so upset about that was because when I was 18... I reached out to him asking him why. Why did he do what he did? Why did he take the only thing that meant the entire world to me away? Who did he think he was to separate us like that? He wrote me a letter back and told me that he would give me all the answers I was looking for. He would tell me anything I wanted to know if I agreed to be put on his visitors list and go and sit down in front of him and look him in the eyes. And I know that a lot of you watching this are probably thinking, well, I would have jumped on the chance. Um, I would have done it in a heartbeat. And that's really easy to say when you are not in that situation or coming from 
that situation, it was not something that I was willing to do. I was not willing to go and look the man who murdered my sister in the eye and give him the satisfaction of seeing me. Especially because at that time, I was a very broken person. I think it would have had a huge impact on me in a negative way. And I was trying to protect myself and make sure that um, I wasn't doing anything that would give me further reason to contemplate continuing to live. Again, I was just, I was not in a good headspace. And I never responded back to that. I also sent a letter to Betty. (laughs) And she is a firm believer that she did nothing wrong. Still to this day, she is convinced that she did nothing wrong. And she tells everyone that me and my sister lied that we made it all up, that I ruined her life, as if my dead sister's body wasn't enough proof, as if my time in the hospital wasn't enough proof, as if the room where she kept us chained wasn't enough. And in her letter, she told me she wasn't willing to give me answers and that she would only speak to me if I could prove that I had found God and if I went to the news and told everybody that I made it up. Fuck her. Anyways, I get notified that Ruben passed away and I was really upset because... A month before I got notified that he passed away, I sent him another letter. And that was not a good time in my life. I was pregnant with my daughter. My marriage was fine. Those things were good. But mentally, I was... It's really hard to talk about because when you struggle with mental health as a, as a parent... Especially as a mother, I feel like there's a lot of shame surrounding that. I'm so sorry. Because you are supposed to hold it together. And I was not able to do that at that time. Oh, jeez. And it's a time in my life I'm very ashamed of because, as a lot of you know, after I shared on my Instagram about it, it was really, really hard to pull myself out of that. Um, and so I reached out to Ruben and pretty much told him that I still feel like a broken person. I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him until he gives me a reason, until he tells me why he took her from me. And a month later, I find out that... He had been in the hospital at the prison because he was super sick. And then he passed. And on top of all of that, for how long, I'm not sure. But 
towards the end, he had developed dementia. And I was angry. I was so angry when he passed away. Because I thought to myself, fuck you. I didn't get my answers. And you got to forget. I have to live with this every day. And you got to forget. That made me very, very angry. And I remember that day I called my father-in-law. Because my father-in-law is, he's the kind of person who is super quiet. He doesn't speak unless he feels like he has something important to say. And I wasn't talking to any of my own family at the time other than my older sister. And my older sister was going through her own grieving process and we just weren't in the same process together. She needed to have her moment. I needed to have mine. And we had to do that separately. My husband was at work and I remember I just, I heard it and I, it felt like my heart stopped. And I had all these emotions coming up and I just wanted to run away. But I was at home with my kids and I just really needed somebody to ground me. And so I called my father-in-law and I'm pretty sure I said, hey, I need you to just listen and let me be angry. And he just said, okay. And I, I cried and I cursed him. And it was just a really hard time. All of this was happening during my pregnancy. There was a lot going on and it was just so much. And I just really struggled. Not a fun time to remember. But yeah, he's gone now. So I will never get those answers, obviously. And that is still something that... I struggle with because I know that a lot of people believe in forgiveness and with a lot of things I do, but not this. A lot of people I've spoken to say the whole, well, forgiveness is for you. It's not for them, but I don't want to forgive because I am permanently marked and scarred all over my body. I see those reminders every single day, and I have to live with the memories, and that's just not something I'm willing to forgive. People heal and grieve differently, and there's no time limit to grieving. That is something that I have learned through therapy, because I thought I was fine, but it's been 15 years, and I still can't celebrate my birthday without crying. Because for those who don't know, I turned 10 on August 20th, 2007, and my sister died August 23rd, 2007. Not a fun time for me. I don't, I just don't enjoy celebrating my birthday. It brings back a lot of really fucking terrible memories. So... I cry every year on my birthday. Anyways, so there was that little update on Ruben. And again, I'm so sorry that I got so emotional. 
it's just, it is really fucking hard to talk about. And it's still hard to accept. And it's just a lot. It's a lot. Oh, and also, when we were running down the hill, when we ran away, I was asked by somebody who I had shared part of my story with why I didn't tell y'all about the baby dolls. And during that episode, I was already, I feel like, pushing myself to my limits mentally. And it just wasn't something that I felt I was going to be able to get through without crying my eyes out. Um, But I will share that moment with you now. When we had grabbed all the food to run away and escape, I told y'all how we grabbed our baby dolls. And there was a moment when we were running down the hill where I had dropped my baby doll. I stopped, looked back. Crystal was running and running and running. And it was one of those moments that you see almost like in movies where she stops to pick my baby doll up and then hers falls out of her bag. And then she stops to get hers and it's just over and over and over. And she's carrying these boxes of cereal. She's running, 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 and she's trying to grab these little baby dolls. And I told her, leave them, leave them. You have to leave them. We can't take them. And she's crying and she's like, but they'll be so sad. Now, when I see baby dolls, I am always reminded of the time we ran for our lives and didn't make it. So it's a really hard thing for me to remember little parts, little moments And our story like that, because to y'all it sounds like just a simple memory, but to me it's those simple, tiny moments that just stand out to me the most and bring me a lot of pain. So yeah, I didn't include it in the last episode because I felt like The story that I was already sharing with you guys was already a lot. And I was trying to work through that. And when I have to go into this headspace of remembering things, it's not like remembering a breakup where you remember the person and maybe a few moments in your relationship. And you know it was sad, but you've healed and you've moved on and you're in a new relationship and everything is good. It's not like that. When I remember one thing from my childhood, everything comes in like a flood. It's just all at once and my mind gets all jumbled and it's like, it really is like opening the floodgates and it's just all rushing out and it's going second by second by second in my head and, you know, I'm, that's how I live daily, but trying to get it all out there and talk about all of it is really hard Um, because as I'm talking about one thing, a million other things come to my mind. Which is why I said in the last video that that is about 50% my story and that the rest will come out in different episodes. 
as I talk about different topics and stuff because it would probably take about six or seven episodes to get through every single thing just with Betty and Ruben. Not only does that require a lot of y'all's time, but it also requires a lot of my my mind and I feel like it's easier for me to talk about things and discuss things when I'm on specific topics than to just sit here and do six, seven, eight hours worth of just diving into that really heavy shit. So yeah, anyways, back to where we had left off, which I'm really sorry about the cliffhanger. That was incredibly unintentional. I am just a dum-dum and I can't figure out technology for the life of me, apparently. But anyways, Ruben had come home and he went to the our bedroom, picked Crystal up, carried her through the house, laid her on the back seat of his truck, drove to the fire department, and then a short time after, me, Betty, and my little brother went to the fire department. This, this was the same fire department across the street from the barbecue shop that we tried to run away to. The same fire department that Ruben volunteered at. So, yeah. I remember we pulled up and they had her laying on the tailgate. And I remember seeing her body in this just really crooked, awkward state. I think they tried to, like, straighten her out, maybe. But again, her body was just, like, locked up. And so I can't imagine what that must have looked like when they tried to straighten her out, you know, and get her laying flat. And they couldn't get her on her back without her knees coming up, her arms coming up and being locked, her wrists being locked in place, just hovering above her ribs. Investigators showed up and they said that they needed to ask me and my little brother some questions. And before we had gone to the fire department with Betty, she had instructed us to tell them that if they if they asked us questions, to tell them that we were jumping on the trampoline. We fell off. Crystal hit her head on a rock and that's how she got sick. I remember thinking, what do you, how do you get sick from hitting a rock? You know, I was a kid, you know, but if you saw their interview with the police, Ruben talks about how he hits her on the side of the head with a cane. And so because of that blunt force trauma from the cane and the fact that she was already so incredibly sick, the cards were stacked against her. There was no chance she was going to make it out alive. Betty told us to tell the investigators or anybody who questioned us to tell the police that we fell off a trampoline. She hit her head on a rock and that's how she got sick. And so when the investigator was asking me questions at the fire department, they opened the door to where I was sitting. I was sitting in the driver's or behind the driver's seat on the driver's side, in the back seat, opens the door, Betty is sitting in the driver's seat, facing me, turned around, facing me, leaned around the headrest, and she is staring me the fuck down. And I remember being so scared because 
if I fuck this up, I'm going to get my ass beat. I'm going to get in so much trouble if I don't remember word for word what she told me to say. So they asked me questions. I told them what I was supposed to say. They asked my little brother questions. He answered how he was supposed to. And they ended up deciding that we needed to go to what was called the Norma's House, which is an emergency advocacy center in Gonzales that helps kids in our situation. So we go to the Norma's house and I remember Betty sat in the back seat between me and my little brother and my older sister was driving. She drove us to the Norma's house and I remember just thinking, oh my gosh, you're being so crazy. You're, you're scaring me because my sister was screaming. She was angry. She was yelling at Betty she kept staring at me in the rearview mirror and just crying. She would just cry and cry and cry. And it scared me because I'd never seen my sister like that. I, I had never seen her so upset, so emotional, so angry. And now, as an adult, I know that she was just rage screaming at Betty. Just, what did you do? What happened? You know, how did, how did she get so sick? Just, she wanted answers and she was angry. It wasn't just me that day who lost someone so important to them. My little brother lost someone. And for my older sister, it was losing a child who was your sister, but felt like your daughter. I can't imagine the pain that my sister must have felt. We end up at the Norma's house. We make it to the Norma's house. And I was just downing snacks and chugging Capri Suns. And I kept throwing up so many times. And finally, another worker came in and said, stop, stop, stop. You can't give that to her. She'll get sick. She'll get sick. And at that time, I didn't question it because I had been starved so it wasn't a shock to me for another adult to come in and say no you're not allowed to eat except this time they were doing it because my throwing up and everything was my body's way of trying to tell me like hey we're going into shock over here this is too much sugar this is too much food we can't do this and they wanted to stop any sickness before it got worse because, you know, adding something on top of an already incredibly starved and malnourished body can lead to really bad issues. So fast forward, I am sleeping on the couch in the Norma's house. My little brother's asleep. I wake up in the middle of the night for some reason and I hear voices like muffled voices and I go to a door or a wall or something and I hear Betty and Ruben and in my mind I'm thinking, oh, they're still here. I better hurry up and go lay back down before I get my ass beat. Next morning I'm introduced to who I'm pretty sure was my little brother's social worker and he says, well, I have to take you to a city called San Antonio and you're going to go to a hospital so that doctors can look at you. And it's a little bit of a drive. But we'll figure it out. 
And the whole time going there, I remember being so fucking scared because I'm in a car with this strange man. I'm being taken to taken to a place where I know absolutely no one. My older sister isn't there. No one I know is there other than my little brother. So I clung to him. We get to the children's hospital and go to what's called the Center for Miracles. It's ran by Dr. Nancy Kellogg. And they had been open for a year before my little brother and I went. And they specialize in child maltreatment. I go back to a room. I have to put on this god-awful orange gown. And for some reason, I just knew that Dr. Kellogg was a safe person. That I could finally be honest and I could tell her everything. Because at the Norma's house, I still lied. I still, you know, was like, no, we fell off the trampoline. That's what happened. So Dr. Kellogg comes in with somebody, you know, to take pictures of all the different fucked up parts of my body. And I tell her everything. I tell her everything that I could remember right off the top of my head. And from there, once I got cleared, my little brother got cleared immediately, you know, obviously, because he was really well taken care of. He went to his foster home and got adopted. And so that's where he went and stayed. And then I ended up going to the children's shelter after the hospital And I remember at the beginning of my time there, I actually had to be isolated because I did not know how to socialize with people. I Sometimes when I think about my time at the shelter, I think about that scary movie where the two little girls call that monster mama and they're like perched on top of a fridge in an abandoned house in the woods or something like that. I can't remember exactly how it goes, but I was not that feral but that's how I feel I looked and so I don't know I I I know that I had to be put in isolation and I was actually in a room on the boys side all by myself and it was just I don't know it's just so wild to think back on that time it's all good memories at the children's shelter it's just weird to think about me needing to be kept in a room alone And during that time, it was still really hard for me to accept the fact that my sister was gone. I was not allowed to go to her funeral. I was not given the opportunity to give my final goodbyes. So... The last memory I have of my sister is how she looked on the tailgate of Ruben's truck. It is permanently burned into my head. She got buried. There was a funeral. She was buried in the cemetery that we made it to when we ran away. That's where she's at. So anyways, it was a struggle for me. At the children's shelter, it was really hard to socialize with people and 
learn new things like how to clean my body properly, how to brush my teeth, just so much. It was really, really hard. And, but I did it. I learned, you know, and when I got there, I had all of these bald spots in my hair because I don't know if y'all know this, but when, when your body is going through such a hard time with malnutrition and starvation and abuse and all of that, other parts of your body don't really get the nutrients that they need. And so things start becoming more frail, things start breaking easier, things like that. So I had all these bald spots partly from Betty ripping our hair out and then also partly from my body just not being able to produce whatever it needed for my hair to grow. And Buddy had cut our hair to make us look like little boys. And so at the children's shelter, my hair was finally starting to grow back. I was putting on some weight. I remember I was on this special meal schedule, pretty much where I was getting protein-rich foods. I was getting more helpings and more servings. I was having to eat more meals throughout the day, drink special drinks, things like that. And I slowly but surely started getting healthier physically. I made some friends. I went Halloween trick-or-treating for the first time in my life. I dressed up as a bride. It was like my dream to be married someday and have a bunch of babies and live in a big house and one of the things Crystal and I would daydream about when we were struggling, when we were hungry, when we were scared, when it was really dark and scary for us, we used to daydream about what kind of houses we would live in, what kind of husbands we would have, what our kids would look like, and we promised that we would get married at the same time have our weddings together and our husbands would be best friends and all of our babies would play together and it would be perfect because we would be together and we would never have to be separated and look at where we're at now. So yeah, it just, I don't know, I dressed up as a bride And I went trick-or-treating, and that's where I started to take an interest in art. I went back to school at their little shelter school that they had. I had my first crush on a boy. There were a lot of good times there. There, for the first time in years, I had put on a skirt. I remember I had this outfit. It was a yellow outfit, a yellow and white outfit. And the skirt was like a skort and it had these cute little flowers on it. And every time I put it on, I just felt so beautiful. I felt so pretty and I can still remember that feeling of having to wear my little brother's hand-me-downs because that's how much more he weighed than us. That's how much more taken care of he was than us. 
was we were able to wear his clothes when he outgrew them, even though he was two years younger than me. And so to go from wearing nothing but dirty, grimy hand-me-downs to being able to put on a skirt and twirl around and just be a little girl. That was a big moment for me. It's hard for me to remember things like that now as a mother, especially as a mother to a daughter, because I'll look at my daughter when she's all dressed up and just think, you're so beautiful. Then it makes me question how anyone can look at a little girl and put them through what Betty and Ruben put my sister and I through and treat them like they are less than scum of the earth, like they are trash, like they are unworthy. Like they are undeserving of love. When I look at my daughter, I am grateful for the fact that I get to see what could have been of my sister and I. What could have been of me had I not gone through everything. And and it just makes me really thankful that I came out on the other side of things and I was able to have children and have a little girl and give them a peaceful life that will by far always be my greatest accomplishment that I got to give my children a peaceful life. I know the price I had to pay to make it out alive and so I am really grateful that I was able to make it out, have a husband, buy a big house, and have lots of babies. And although I should be living this life with another person by my side, I'm just really fucking thankful that I get to experience this because it is everything that I dreamed of as a child. Anyways, I am going to leave it there today. Next time I will pick up on leaving the children's shelter, going into foster care, my time through foster care, and if we have enough time my last adoption family because spoiler alert that also went to shit again i am so sorry for being so emotional but positive is this one doesn't end in a cliffhanger i really appreciate everyone who is still here and the new people who have come and if you are new here and you haven't already if you don't mind subscribing whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on Spotify it really helps me if you have any questions please leave them in the comments i will get to them as soon as i can if you have any comments just be warned that if you're going to be mean to me i'm going to be mean to you sorry not sorry and so yeah that's it for today i hope that this was less heavy 
than episode one. There is no crazy graphic images at the end of this video. Just lots of crying. I think being sick is also just making it so much worse. But we got through it. There's no cliffhanger and I hope it was a lot easier to get through than the last episode. So yeah, the link in the description will take you to all the platforms that I'm currently on. And I hope to see you guys there.